so here we go so um so hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the heart shape decisions podcast uh, this is graham frost and I, today i have the pleasure of um, a friend of mine for quite a few years who i haven't actually met for a long time uh, called mark franklin and uh, mark and i used to work together for a company called travelex in peter well we didn't work together we were on different teams but but how we know each other is we used to sit next to each other on hot desks in an office in Peterborough on Friday afternoons or for, well, all day Fridays sometimes. And we kind of struck up this friendship and um, which has been kept alive really more by social media than anything else over the last uh, 10 years or so. In fact, we haven't probably seen each other for at least five years. So welcome, Mark. And um, Mark works in financial services, but don't, don't hold that against him. He's quite a nice <laughs> one. <laughs> so, Mark, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you know, what you get up to? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Graham. Um, yeah, so I guess for me, um, more, most recently, I've been involved in uh, business development, probably for the last eleven years. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually kind of between roles at the moment, having um, been made redundant uh, during the. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic um so i've taken a little bit of time out spent a bit of time with my sort of the younger younger side of my family my younger children um which has been lovely um but yeah up until then i'd done various roles i'd worked in um worked for travelex as you say where i met your good self um so i was involved in corporate foreign exchange there um i've worked for another company called fexco who i left uh, Travelex Western Union to go to um, again working in corporate foreign exchange uh, and then I had a massive shift still in payments but a massive shift into virtual card technology worked for an American company uh, called WEX um, and was there for three years have three really really successful years there mm. um, then again did another sort of uh, divert into another area of payments and worked for a back software company uh, for for a time uh, and then headed back into the virtual card sort of digital payments world with a company called Eden Red um, where I worked for two years up until uh, April this year mm. um, and that's kind of where I find myself now I guess I'm still you know very much just starting to look again starting to put the feelers out for um, some business development work yeah um, yeah that's kind of where I find myself at just now okay yeah well i think i think a lot of people are in that situation you know i know i know i've, you know, I've experienced redundancy i mean mine was actually voluntary i wasn't i didn't have didn't have to leave but um yeah back in 2003 after 24 years with the same company i um you know we had a, what they call a restructure i think uh, there are people who work in businesses whose sole aim is to restructure that business every single year um, every single sometimes it's every six months so that some people never actually get any work done because they're so worried that they're going to lose their jobs and that is my view on um, these constant restructures uh, maybe that's an old-fashioned view but uh, I don't think those people are particularly helpful to for, uh, to progress I don't know what your view is on that. No, I, I think you've got a, a really valid point there there Graham um, I, I think the same and I've you know like yourself I've been involved in redundancy 
three times, I think, in my, my life, uh, in my working life in financial services. I mean, I've had a massive shift away from financial services. I started in financial services. I actually started in Thomas Cook in, you know, 35 years ago in the international payments department. I've been away and worked for an insurance company. I've worked in for a mental health charity. I was in the police for 11 years. And then lo and behold, I did a full circle and came back to working in payment solutions and international payments. So, wow. um, and I would say that in financial services, I've, I've definitely found, you know, what you just said about the restructuring and stuff like that and the, the sole purpose, it, it's been very prevalent, I would say, during that time. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how, how it actually helps people to be more productive. I really, I really honestly don't. I, somebody might be able to explain that to me one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this whole this whole thing about creating shareholder value has become you know it's the kind of the uh, it's the strap line that's behind every other strap line isn't it um, yeah and you know do you create shareholder value with completely de demotivated people uh i don't think you do but uh that's because i think with my heart rather than my head probably but uh I think, i'm very much the same but i think there needs to be more of that you know, the, I can remember you know, the time in my life when I was at my most productive uh, and most enjoyed my work uh, was in the late 1990s and early 2000s, at my employed work anyway, was when I was, uh, I was actually managed by somebody who led with their heart. Uh, and that's, that's quite rare, in, I think, in business these days, especially now. I think it was probably more prevalent then, but I think I think the the um, I think the finance directors are listened to more in the boardroom than anybody else. So maybe maybe we might have we might have a change in that with this coronavirus crisis. It might might give people time to think. But um, I'm not see, I'm not seeing many signs of that at the minute. To be fair, but uh, anyway, yeah. So what? Yes. So you've got a so what? You mentioned being in the police. Now, it's quite interesting, 11 years in the police. Yeah. Um, most people think that when you go into the police, it's a job for life. But I, mean, I, know, I know two people, yourself included, who are um, probably around about the same age, who've actually, who've actually been in the police and come out of it. Um, is, that, is that common these days? Or? Um, I, I would say it's more common now. Mm. Graham than it ever was I think years gone by certainly um, when you joined the police it was to do your 30 years service and yeah. um, you would normally stay you would normally stay in for that 30 years and some you know some police officers who joined very young like 18 between 18 and 21 would do their 30 years and then you know go on and do more yeah. um, I think I think it is um, I, I think it's changed I think it's the same with with everything it changes with everything within the police has changed from even from the day I joined, which was in the mid nineties. Yeah. Um, it's changed. Um, but for me, I guess mine was a little bit, you know, it's a story I've never shared really other than outside of speaking to people within my family and probably um, outside of people I worked with at the time. It's a story that I've never really shared, but um, the reason I left the police, I mean, for me, I wanted to be a police officer from the age of five. So for wow. me to, to actually, finally have the opportunity and it's not to say that the first time I decided I was going to apply that I would I, I'd get in um, I applied to the Metropolitan Police when I was 18 and they turned me down because they said I was too young and um, at the time I was affronted but 
you know, when I look back on myself at 18, I wouldn't have lasted five minutes if, I, if they'd have accepted me then. So they were absolutely right. Um, I was a special constable with Cambridgeshire Police for four years, applied to join the regulars at the time, um, got rejected. And then my circumstances changed in that um, first time I got made redundant was when I was at Pearl Assurance. Mm. Um, and my partner and at the time and the mother of my older two children uh, was from the north of Scotland, wanted to move back there. So we moved lock, stock and barrel to the north of Scotland where I lived for eight years. Wow. Um, that's where I got involved in mental health. But it was while I was there that um, Grampian Police started recruiting. Um, I applied and actually got into the police in the north of Scotland. So I joined the police um, and did the first five and a half years of my service in the, uh, in the north of Scotland. Um, if I'm honest to this day, I, I believe that if I'd never left the north of Scotland and stayed in Grampian, I'd still be in the police to this day. Right. Um, but obviously circumstances dictated and I ended up back in, back in Peterborough. Um, got transferred to Cambridgeshire Police and did five and a half years here. Um, but um, you're talking about heart-shaped decisions. Um, mm. I, I was uh, involved with somebody um, who, who wasn't in the police but lived um, in the town that, that I was working. Um, and I was on duty one night and they called me and told me their friend had crashed their car um, into someone's fence. A minor accident. Mm. Um, but had crashed the car into someone's fence and could I come and help so I went out to, to help there was no damage um, I took got the details obviously of the person involved passed them to the person who was in bed at this time who owned the fence um, did an accident report and everything else what I didn't do really was follow up on my uh, on my um, girlfriend's friend who had obviously been drink driving and I didn't follow up on it and I made a heart-shaped decision that there was no damage so um, you know, there was no harm done. No one had been hurt. Yeah. Wrong decision, but um, to leave it at that. Um, and that was fine. But, you know, these things go on in the police all the time. I'm not going to pretend they don't because, you know, people do them all the time. But about nine months later, when um, the relationship all finished, you know, mm. I don't know whether it was because I was a policeman or somebody thought it was the best way or the easiest way to get around and try and hurt somebody else, um, they decided to go to the police and tell them what I'd done. Um, and from that moment, it opened up a big investigation into the whole incident. They interviewed um, people that I worked with. They interviewed the person that I was on duty with that night um, who had to look after herself. I get that. Um, and cut a long story short, I was uh, suspended from the police for about 11 months. Uh, and then I left prior to um, having my hearing on the advice of the Federation saying that I would probably be dismissed for my conduct anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I made what I thought was a heart-shaped decision at the time, and it really was from the heart, got me into a lot of trouble, um, had to make me refocus my life. It's not the way I would have wanted to leave the police. Um, but I had to, I guess, reinvent myself, um, which is what I've realised all the way through, is that, you know, it was a worrying time, it was a horrible time, but you always have to, it's never too late to start again or never too late to kind of change a course or a direction if you want to. And I've realized Absolutely. that all the time in my life. Um, and I've, you know, these experiences come along and they're always experiences I think that you can learn from massively. Um, yeah. And I've learned massively going into the corporate world and or going back into the corporate world. And, and the funny thing was, I, I had no clue, no clue what I was going to do when I, I left the police. But for some reason, when I came out, mm. I found that I kept getting matched to different sales jobs. Um, and I, I did a sales job, which was a commission only sales job, which was a real tough learning curve. It was going into retail shops and 
um, onto building sites trying to sell a, um, an insurance, um, a medical insurance, um, where you only earned what you sold. So it was a, it was a tough gig, um, you know, but you met some colourful and, and, and great people along the way. So it was, it was good fun at the same time. Yeah. But it made me realise that I needed some sort of stability in my life. Um, but as I said, I kept getting matched to sales jobs. Couldn't understand it at the time. But in reflection, and I've used this sometimes when I speak to people in interviews, they ask, why, why did you go from police into business development and everything? And I think the, the analogy that I, I use a lot is that um, I've, always, I've always liked people. It's part of the reason why I wanted to join the police. I've always liked working with people. I've always liked conversing with people. Mm. Uh, and even in the police you're always having to uh, I don't want to say sell yourself but you, you're always talking to people on different levels you always have yeah. to have various ways of learning how to communicate with people at their level mm -hmm. uh, whether that's you know having to up your communication or, or whatever um, you're always in a situation where um, you're you're influencing situations which is what we do in business development um, to try and make people understand that your point of view and what you're talking about is, is, is a good way forward. Um, and it transcends, it transcends over into sales. And I think that's why I've gone into it. That's why I've done well at it. That's why I'm, um, good at what I do, I believe, um, because I like people, I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about, you know, um, yeah, sitting in front of people and having conversations. That's what I like. That's what I enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah that's kind of how I came to be where I was and um, how I came to uh, leave the job that I always wanted to do from when I was a, a little boy wow well that's yeah that's amazing yeah I mean I I, I fell in, I, mean, I fell into I fell into what I do um because I you know as you probably know a bit about my story leaving my family behind when I was 17 yeah I, I went into the hospitality business I, you know I worked behind the bar in a pub for a long time and then then went on to the railway and I stayed on, I stayed on the railway for 24 years. And after 17 years of working on the trains, serving people food and drink and managing the team, uh, you know, the, the uh, cabin crew, if you like, on long distance trains, I, um, I was asked if I would like to go and uh, uh, work in training and development and, and help them teach other people to do what I've done. And, um, right. It was the chief executive of the company that asked me that question. He said, "We'd like to, we'd like you to. Um, we'd, I've seen I've seen what you do. You know, he said, I'd like I'd like you to become part of this new team we're putting together." Um, and I said, "Does that mean I've got to get up and speak in front of people?" And he said, uh, "He said yes. He said it does. He said, but we can give you that skill." He said, "What uh, we can't do." He said, we can't duplicate your experience. Um, and so he said, will you apply for this? He said, I can't give you the job. He said, will you apply for it when it comes up? So I said, yes. So, you know, I can remember going and I had to do a presentation as part of that interview in 1996, this would have been. Um, and I'd never done a presentation in my life. I had my presentation written on a sheet of paper and I stood up in front of these three people who were the interview panel, and my hands were shaking as I was holding the paper. Um, and somehow, anyway, I managed to get the job. And then I found not only, you know, not only um, did I enjoy once I got the hang of what I was doing, once not only did I enjoy it, I was good at it. And um, you know, uh, two years later, um, the company actually hired fifty external managers in. 
Um, and I was given the job of doing their whole induction program. Wow. And that was like, that was like, you know, to, probably to this day, one of the most satisfying pieces of work I ever did. Um, you know, and, and I found that, you know, I found I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed helping other people to get, get the best out of themselves. You know, so it's not just about doing a good job yourself. It's about helping other people to, you know, to, and then, you know, then I, how I got into public speaking was that I, I left, the, when I took redundancy from the railway in 2003, after a few weeks of sort of wondering what I'm going to do next, you know, I had scratching my head, um, I, um, I, went to, I went to America to stay with some friends in, in uh, California for a few days and um, I, while I was there, I decided that I wasn't going to get another job. I was going to start working for myself. And I'd never even, you know, never thought I would ever do that. And I did for, you know, for about three or four years, I actually ran my own training business. And wow. it, it doesn't sound, I mean, it took me, it took me a year to get any work. Uh, that's the thing. It's hard. And, you know, it's, um, it's hard work. Uh, and I'm doing it all again now. <laughs> um, uh, getting work, you know, speaking work. but trying to get speaking work when there isn't any speaking going on, you know, it's, uh, but it's, um, yeah. I, ne I never, I never make life easy for myself. <laughs> Neither do I, Graham. Neither do I. <laughs> I don't think, I've, but you know, but it's great. I mean, it's great that I've, I've got some fantastic, you know, I've got some fantastic people in my life. Um, that I would, that I wouldn't have those people in my life if my life hadn't taken the course that it did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally um, relate to that. Yeah, and I think, you know, all sorts, I mean, I did a, I have a, are you in my Facebook group? No, I don't think, I don't think you no, are. I don't think I'll I am. I'll have to invite you to my Facebook group because yeah. I did a, um, I did a Facebook live in my Facebook group this morning and it was just really nice to see, I mean, the people that are in my Facebook group are all mainly people that I know. Yeah. Um, and I just did a Facebook live for them this morning and it was just like, uh, you know, people at eight o'clock this morning, people, people were actually commenting and, and I was thinking, oh, this is really nice. I must do this more often. You know, people say, yeah, please, please invite me. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm going to start doing regular Facebook lives in there. Um, yeah, I will definitely invite you to that. And anybody that's listening, you know, if you're, if you're connected with me in any way, just um, send me a message and I'll invite you to the Facebook group because we have, I'm going to start doing a bit more speaking in there. Because it's actually really, really, really easy. I just have to hold my phone, and it's it's amazing what how you can communicate now with modern technology. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason not to communicate anymore. You know, people, Definitely. people, but people still don't communicate sometimes. You know. Um, yeah, I agree. Amazing. Yeah. So, 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 what what would you like to what would you like to come out of this year for you then, Mark? Where would you like to be by the end of this year? What would you like to be doing? Um, no, I'd like to be working again properly. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. Yes. Um, I, I, it's difficult because um, obviously I've been doing business development for 11 years and I've been successful in it. So that's the natural progression. I'd like to get back into that because it's, yeah. it's what I'm good at. It's what I know. Um, but aside from that, you know, um, I have a passion for writing, as I've shared with you before graham yeah. um i like to write i you know and i i often write things down i write stuff experiences things that have happened to me and i'd like to sort of you know 
explore that area, put those sort of into some sort of format that um, becomes a good read, whether it's for anybody else or just for myself. Mm. Um, you know, and yeah, um, I think, you know, bizarrely, I think there's a lot about what's gone on during this pandemic that I'd like to keep post COVID-19, if you know what I mean. There's a yeah. lot of things, a lot of things that I think have worked for the better. I think people's thought processes have, have, have possibly changed when they've realized, you know, um, that we're all, it's fragile. The world we live in is very fragile. So I, I think it's made people take stock. It certainly made me take stock of my life and made me realize, you know, what's important. I've spent time with my family, probably more time than I have done for a long time. And I've got yeah. young children again, because I've got a, a, a wife, um, who, a much younger wife and two young children, even though I'm, you know, 51 now. Um, but it's made me appreciate um, what's important to me. And my, my wife and my kids are important to me. Yes, I've, I've got to go out and work. And, you know, we all have to work to earn a living, to keep a roof over our health head and food in our mouths but it has made me appreciate um, a much wider um, area for me so spending time with my family doing stuff at home doing stuff with the kids um, stuff that I've really really enjoyed I want to make sure that they carry on regardless of what work I get back into it's making sure that I get that work life balance completely right yeah um, mm. so yeah I mean that's where I see myself beyond that um, you know I've always had you, you mentioned about, um, which really resonated with me when you were talking about when you got up and somebody asked you to speak and you had to do that presentation and your hands were shaking. Um, I, I, I always feel like I've got stuff to talk about and stuff mm. to share and I'd love to have an opportunity and a platform to do that on. Um, but th at the same time, talking in front of you know, many people frightens the life out of me. And that goes back to an experience I had when I left school, when I was picked to... Um, talk to the whole school about what I was going to do when I left school and I um, was sat on a big stage and watching all these people come in and I felt quite relaxed but the more and more people came in the more and more nervous I got um, and then I realized the scale of what I was doing I was going to have to stand up and speak in a microphone at the age of 16 to all these other students who knew me and I knew them um, all these teachers um, I was you know you know how tall I am Graham I'm six foot five yeah um, I've, I've been this height since I was 15 so at, at 16 I was a beanpole um, and I was six foot five but my headmaster at my school was literally about five foot four uh, and wow. he was introducing me on the microphone so when I walked up to the microphone the microphone was way way lower um, than I anticipated it being um, I went to try and move the microphone my hands were shaking that much that I couldn't move it um, so I just then bent down um, to speak which then created laughter everywhere. My hands were shaking like crazy, as you mentioned. Um, I then put my hands in my pockets thinking that would help, but all it did was make my pockets shake. So I was oh, literally stood with my hands in my pockets shaking and everyone was in fits of laughter. Needless to say, it was an awful introduction to public speaking. Um, and I, I, yeah, I fell flat on my face with that one and it took me a long time to live it down. But those yeah. things are the scars and the things that stay with you and the fears that come back every time you kind of speak in, front of somebody and you know yeah. it sounds bizarre because I've been in the police and I've been in sales but I've always been battling with those kind of fears about standing in front of different people and speaking wow. so fear I always want to overcome but I can never see myself getting rid of all those those nerves so that's something I want to work on as well over the next you know the rest of this yeah, year. Interesting I mean I, I, mean, I, I um, found I found myself when I when I was um, 
I joined a, I joined a, a Toastmasters club. Have you heard of Toastmasters? Yeah, yeah, and I've I've seen that you're involved with them. Not anymore, but I used to. I would strongly advise anybody who, you know, anybody who wants to learn to to be more co confident in in uh, public speaking. In fact, it's actually helped me with my confidence generally because I think if you can get up in front of a group of people and articulate what you want to say, it does help you to become a more confident person. Um, I agree with that. I'm not a confident person naturally at all. I've got, you know, my default setting, if you like, is absolutely zero self-confidence. <laughs> you know, because of my upbringing and, you know, being basically brought up to believe that I wasn't worth very much, um, you know, that was really, that was really, that was, that was what I really took from my upbringing. And I was pretty worthless, you know. Um, because you know you're only you're only any good if you follow the rules, and I didn't really like following the rules. So, um, and I was only I was only talking this morning earlier actually about I've, I've not told anybody this uh, before, but I've, um, when I was in my you know in the church I was brought up in, um, when I was about probably no more than ten years old, I had to get up and speak in front of the, the whole church in uh, Chelmsford where I was born um, and then we also had part of one of the rites of passage of growing up in that organization was actually having to go out and speak in public with you know in in the main square of the town where you lived or something like that um, about your about your faith and all that kind of thing and I was you know I was literally I was a shy child um, and I was made to do this and then when when I was fourteen, we came. To, uh, we moved to London when I was uh, about twelve. And when I was fourteen, um, there was a big church gathering in London that we used to go to. There was about four or five hundred people, and they were in sort of so they were all they were all they were all above you. They were almost like being in a big lecture theatre type thing. Um, and I had to, and if you were asked to, if you were asked to speak. To that group, you couldn't say no. Yeah, it, 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 had to do it. They took a very dim view of it if you didn't do it. So I had, and I remember getting up. I was absolutely buried by bright red, shaking like a leaf, and I managed to speak wow. for about a minute and a half. Um, and wow. you know, I was really not in a very good state at all. Um, so if I can get from that to being able to get up in front of two hundred and fifty teenagers and spit and engage that audience for uh, an hour then i think anybody can yeah brilliant brilliant i mean that's just a journey that i've been on and i, I started that journey obviously we're going into training and development I, I would speak to groups of maybe 12 to 15 people i would, it would be in those days <clears throat> it would be um like a several days course sometimes and then I um, then I when I left there, I started. I had to go. What made me join Toastmasters was I went to the the um, as it was then the Peterborough Chamber of Commerce, and um, they said to me one day, "Oh, Glenn," they said, "You're a trainer, aren't you?" I said, "Yes." They said, "Can you?" Um, it was a breakfast networking meeting. I don't know if you've ever been to those, and they yeah have yeah yeah. yeah. And they said, we, "One of the people that." Um, supposed to be speaking about their business today has dropped out would you like to fill in and uh, even though i was even though i was quite competent to get up and, and deliver training 
the idea of actually getting up and speaking about myself and the little voice, you know that little voice in your head that you have that tells yep. you you can't do things? Yeah. We all have one, um, not most people do. Uh, the little voice in my head said, no, you can't do that because you haven't prepared anything. So what came out of my mouth was, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Um, I haven't prepared anything. And um, so I then went and sat with all the other people having breakfast and did my introduction and watched three other people do their 10-minute presentations while thinking to myself, well, I could have done at least as well as that. And I, yeah. was talking, I was talking to a lady who I knew there afterwards, um, and she worked for an organisation which sadly no longer exists called Business Link, and um, which used to be, it was a government-funded uh, 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 organisation that used to help people to start their own businesses and all that kind of thing. And that got done away with in the first round of austerity back in 2010. And yeah. um, she said, oh, she said... Uh, you need to go to Toastmasters. And I said, what's Toastmasters got to do with anything? You know, because I'd never heard of it. Because um, it's, it's a very unfortunate brand name in the, in the UK. It's an American organisation. But, you know, I so I did actually go along to a Toastmasters club in Peterborough called uh, Anglia Communicators, which still exists. I mean, normal in normal times, they meet at the Orton Hall Hotel. Um, and uh, I went along to that, and I was a member for 14 years. And wow, got, I've got a lot out of it. Put a lot, you know, I got quite involved with the whole organisation of it all. Um, but no, I would not be the confident speaker that I am now if I hadn't joined Toastmasters. And I would advise anybody who who wants to, you know, who wants to improve their, you know, to overcome those sort of barriers that you've got in your head. Because most people do. I mean, they say that. Um, they say that uh, people, 80% uh, of people are more afraid of public speaking than they are dying, apparently. Right. A statistic I've heard. Um, you know, people would actually rather die than get up and do a presentation. Oh, yeah, well, I remember when I was in Toastmasters, we used to have people that would come along and they would, you know, it would take them three or four meetings even to get up and introduce themselves. They were yeah. terrified of. I was never, I was never that scared. But you know, I mean, I, people, people, you know, they they would have their own reasons for being, of course, speaking. You know, that's what we bearing in mind, Greg. Somewhere. So yeah, sorry, I'm doing, I'm doing no, far, no. far too I'm much kidding. talking here, but uh, they're actually yeah. doing, they are still doing meetings online, but. Um, you know, it's like every, everything, everything's gone on to Zoom. I mean, here we are on Zoom ourselves, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's my, that seems to be my communication tool at the moment. It's everything. Yeah, I think Zoom. it is me. I mean, I've done one or two, if people want you know, one or two things on Microsoft Teams, but uh, yeah. mostly I've done, yeah, mostly it's been Zoom. And when, you know, nowadays when people, it's actually quite unusual for somebody to say, shall we have a chat on the phone? Yeah, yeah, very true. It is very unusual. It is nice to be able, it's nice to be able to see people. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm quite a visual person, so it's nice Same to be here. able to see people. So, yeah. Well, Mark, thank, thank you so much for, for um, sharing a bit of your story with us. And it's been really, I've really loved talking to you. And I hope, you know, people will, um, you know, when I, I'll, put, I'll put this out. I've got, a, I've got a few episodes in the tank. So, I, probably put it out in two or three weeks time yeah no problem i'll let you know when it, so if anybody wants to um get in contact with you what's the best way to contact you um 
LinkedIn's a good a good tool. Um, I'm always I'm always good for connection on LinkedIn. But um, I've, you know, I've got a mobile phone. Everyone's welcome to uh, give me a call on there. Oh seven eight three two one three zero eight four four. Uh, and then I've got an email address as well, personal email address, mlf69 at hotmail.co.uk. So any any form. Um, if anyone wants to to chat or just even connect, uh, I'm more than happy to. You can okay, never have too Mark, many. Well, so it's Mark Franklin on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm uh, I'm one of his mutual connections. So if you, you, know, you can look up, I think we're connected on LinkedIn, aren't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we're connected. LinkedIn, sure. Facebook, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. You probably see that I'm on LinkedIn quite a lot. I do. It's great. So, Some uh, great content as well, Graham, I have to oh, say. So, yeah, yeah really, that. really good. Well, it's been lovely. These... Absolutely, absolutely brilliant catching up. And when, when Likewise. it's all over, next time I'm, because I, I still have several friends in Peterborough, next time I'm over in Peterborough, yeah. if let's you grab a beer. In, you find yourself in Birmingham, we'll have a beer and, and catch Definitely. Up. Definitely, I'll look forward to that. Take care, and I hope I hope something works out for you really soon. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate that. Great to talk to you. All, all, all the best. Take care. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye now. Bye.